This is the Music Publishing Podcast with your host, Dennis Tobensky. Join Dennis in his weekly nuts and bolts conversations with composers, performers, and other arts professionals as they navigate their careers as concert musicians in the 21st century. And now your host, Dennis Tobensky. Hello, and welcome to the Music Publishing Podcast. I'm here today with Brian Coughlin, uh, the the founder and director of the Fireworks Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we could we could make this happen. Um, we've known each other for like kind of peripherally oh, for, yeah. for how long? A, lo- a long time. Yeah, maybe five or six years at least. At least, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I've been in the city for twelve. Oh, you have. Okay, so yeah, maybe even longer. Yeah. yeah. Did you study with David Del Tredici? Yeah. That, that's, I think that's how we basically... Yeah, that started 10 through. years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. That maybe. Yeah. Maybe Most of my connections, I feel like, are through, through David. David. <laughs> I know. Everyone in the city. Yeah, the case, yeah. So. <laughs> uh, so, Brian, tell us a bit about, uh, about yourself, your background, what you do, all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm a uh, composer, bass player, arranger... And um, my main musical project is, uh, as you said, Fireworks Ensemble, mm-hmm. which is uh, a group that I founded a little over 10 years ago now, um, sort of along the lines of the Kronos Quartet. I think that's what I had in mind mm. uh, when I started, in that um, my hope was to try to embrace a very wide range of musical styles. Nice. I have very eclectic interests, and as a bass player, um, I had experience playing lots of different styles of music mm-hmm. and wanted to continue that and to sort of embrace the diversity and eclecticism of, of current music. Nice. Um, so that's been my main musical project for, for a long time, mm-hmm. but I also do um, freelance arranging, composing, mm-hmm. playing nice. as well as m- with most people putting a musical life together yeah. of many different parts. Yeah, that, that patchwork career mm-hmm. <laughs> that yep, we all, all deal with. have, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it can be so fun and so frustrating. Yes. <laughs> Definitely takes a particular kind of person, yeah. I think, um, to, to really enjoy it and, and to do it well. Yeah, it's a... Uh, <sighs> no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all of my listeners have a very similar... Everyone is nodding their heads. Right yeah. Now, yes. <laughs> so hard that they're going to fall off. <laughs> uh, so how did Fireworks come to be? What was the, the genesis of yeah, that? Yeah, well, Fireworks was um, the result of a kind of early life crisis that I <laughs> had. Uh, I was uh, trained as both a composer and a bass player, so mm-hmm. I have... Um, a master's degree in composition from the University of Oregon, and uh, while I was there studying composition, I was also playing a lot of bass. I mm-hmm. showed up thinking that maybe I would just dabble a little bit, yeah. playing an ensemble here or there. Um, so I auditioned for all of the different groups, and I got principal of the orchestra, <laughs> and had all these people wanting me to play with them, so I ended mm-hmm. up splitting my time while I was there between composing and performing. And while I was there, I met um, Robert Black, who's the bassist for Bang in a Can, okay. All-Stars. And we hit it off, and he said, well, why don't you come study bass with me mm-hmm. at the Hard School? And I didn't have any plans for what I was going to do when I left my composition degree, and so mm-hmm. I went and got another master's degree in double bass performance. Nice. And then still had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> um, 
and through this whole period I was um, writing a lot of music, I was playing classical double bass in chamber ensembles and in orchestras, I was also playing a lot of jazz, I've always played a lot of um, rock electric mm -hmm. bass, so I had all these different interests and it was really hard for me to try to pick a particular direction to yeah. go in, a sort of standard path. Mm -hmm. And so my solution was to um, sort of embrace that mm -hmm. and to create an ensemble with which I could play all these different styles and could write for the, for the group and arrange for the group. Nice. Um, and uh, so I moved to New York and tried to find some like-minded musicians mm. to, uh, to go down this path with me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How, how, did, how did you end up finding your collaborators? Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure how hard it was going to be, um, but uh, we were lucky in that um, at, this was in the you know, early 2000s. There were, um, I, had, I had some contacts and friends here, and um, the first project that we did was uh, my arrangement of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, mm -hmm. and uh, found that there were a lot of people who were really excited about performing that, which was really lucky because it, when we first started, we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. um, so I was asking these people to play, and initially, I think we, um, you know, I, I, I asked a couple of uh, people that I knew, professional mm -hmm. musicians who were pretty well known and well established, if they had any students that might want to join. Mm -hmm. And then when I told them what the project was, I'm thinking of Oren Fader, for example, he was mm -hmm. our first guitarist. Um, who was already, you know, very well known in the new music scene as a guitar player. Mm -hmm. I think I asked him if he had any students that might be willing to play. And I said, yeah, uh, maybe, what's the project? And I told him it was <laughs> Rite of Spring with electric guitar. And he said, hmm, you know, maybe I might be interested in that. And so it was <laughs> nice. just kind of word of mouth. We yeah. um, were able to find people who were interested in, in doing this. And, um, you know, even though it is such a big city, the music community is, is pretty closely knit in some yeah. ways and you're only a few few degrees of separation away from um, from people and and so it wasn't it was it was easier than I um, had feared it might be to mm. find people who would be interested in doing this and um, you know I, I, I found to my um, to my surprise and joy that there were a lot of um, people who had similar backgrounds who would you know were classically trained but were closet rockers and jazz <laughs> players and had had that as part of their upbringing and certainly part of their listening experience nice. and um, who were interested in, in, in doing this so it's um, it was very reassuring and got us a good good start nice yeah. nice yeah that um, I remember that, that yeah that, that right of spring kind of put you guys on the map it did yeah that was a little bit of a surprise it was it was very well received people were very excited about it we got some very good reviews of our record when we put it out and um, we got attention from a manager nice. almost right away maybe earlier than we should have <laughs> um, but um, so yeah so that yeah it really sort of set us off on a on a good path we um, we started to tour with it almost right away nice. and uh, yeah it really helped us launch launch our our career such as it has been yeah so it was definitely a good choice for me <laughs> to start with that as it turns out yeah. and it made sense it was um it was something that i'd always wanted to do it, it was the piece that really 
got me excited about classical music. I, I originally mm-hmm. was, um, I started music as, as a rock bass player and singer, mm-hmm. and then I got into jazz. And But I, when I was in college, I was mainly taking music classes, um, learning about classical music just to sort of have those requirements. What yeah. I really wanted to do was play rock and jazz. And I remember the first time I heard the Rite of Spring, which I was, I think it was, must have been 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I heard it, and I think like a lot of people, it just kind of took my head off, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the second movement. It's just, it was like, this is rock and roll for orchestra. This is the most amazing oh, yeah. thing I've ever heard. And it really changed my life. And so it seemed appropriate that that would be, you know, a piece that this group that I founded um, was would take on that piece as a sort of continuation of this mm-hmm. musical quest that I'd been on since that point. And I had originally planned to just arrange the second movement, but then the second movement kind of stags into the third, and before mm-hmm. I knew it, I had done the entire first half, and I said, well, I'll just, just do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Do the whole thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there we had it. Um, so we, yeah, we had an eight-player, conductorless version of, of the piece, which was um, so much fun to play. And, yeah. And uh, such a great way to... To uh, to start the group. Yeah, really nice. So it, it's what's what's the core ensemble? So when we start for a long time, it was eight players. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really and I picked the instrumentation because I wanted to try to have an ensemble that was as flexible as possible, but also still be a chamber ensemble. Mm-hmm. And eight was the fewest I could sort of. I felt I could reasonably get away with. Yeah. I think I initially wanted something along the lines of banging a can in terms of instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to arrange the Rite of Spring, I really felt like I needed just a couple more voices. I mm-hmm. mean, I knew I wasn't going to get the 36-part counterpoint in some spots, but you know, yeah. if I could have just eight, I could probably get away with most <laughs> of it. Um, so the group that we ended up with was, it was flute, clarinet, violin, cello, guitar, bass, piano, and percussion. So it seemed to me that that would give us a lot of options because we could have the sort of traditional new music puro mm-hmm. instrumentation. Yeah. And a lot of that we could do classical chamber music, you know, piano trio or whatever if we mm-hmm. wanted to. But also we could be we could transform into a jazz or a rock band because yeah. we had the you know bass, piano, drums, mm-hmm. and saxophone. A clarinet player could play saxophone too. So it was eight players for a long time, and um, that is a rather large chamber ensemble mm-hmm. to, to work with and to coordinate and to tour with. Yeah. Every player, every additional player that you add to an ensemble adds um, complexity yeah. geometrically. So um, so I've been trying to sort of scale it back a little bit mm-hmm. over the years. And so we're down to six now, and that may be where it, it ends up with, just because I, I like having the timbral options yeah. and possibilities of writing for a lot of people. But So the the last couple of projects we've done have been six players. We no longer have um, a, a flute or a saxophone as, as okay. sort of core members of the ensemble. Nice. So that leaves it with... So it's right now it's um, f- uh, violin, cello, bass, guitar, piano or keyboards, and, and percussion. Okay, Usually cool. drum set. Nice. Yeah. So... It's a good core ensemble. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know gives me enough enough to work with. Mm-hmm. I don't feel too too limited by it, which is which is good. Nice, nice. So what it, um, we were talking before we started recording? Um, what are some of your like recent projects that you've been doing? Yeah, so um, after the Rite of Spring, we a lot of the projects that we we do they tend to be uh, very eclectic, and the 
one of the goals that I usually have is to try to um, assemble a very wide range of music mm -hmm. under some sort of umbrella or some sort of concept. Mm -hmm. And through the course of a performance to try to show some of the similarities or connections that mm -hmm. exist between styles that people might think are um, are very disconnected mm -hmm. in one way or another. And one of the fun things also for us is to be able to introduce audiences to a style that they might not yeah. be as familiar with. Um, so we have a project uh, we call Dance Mix, which is um, dance music in the Western tradition going back 700 years mm -hmm. and dance music from around the world. Um, we have a project called American Tapestry that is all American music, but it's a very, very eclectic mix of American music. Mm -hmm. and we try to show how these different styles that seem so distinct are actually very closely related, you know, the way that um, jazz is really a combination of classical music and the blues mm -hmm. in a certain way, and the way that um, the blues and jazz find their way back into the classical concert music of people like Copeland and, mm. and Bernstein. So it's a fun way for us to be able to showcase all these different styles of music, all the things that we do yeah. in a cohesive package. Nice. Um, so we have those two projects. We have um, a project of classic cartoon music that mm. we do. Um, where we play uh, scores by Carl Stalling and um, Scott Bradley, who are the two guys who wrote the soundtracks for all the um, Carl Stalling at, at uh, Warner Brothers, all the Bugs Bunny nice. cartoons, and uh, Scott Bradley at MGM, all the Tom and Jerry cartoons, mm -hmm. and all those things. Um, we play those uh, scores as live soundtracks to, to the cartoons, and nice. that's a style of music that um, the music that those guys wrote. Uh, while it's not a huge uh, eclectic range of, of composers or styles, within the pieces, mm -hmm. the music is extremely eclectic. Oh, it's yeah. this really interesting um, style of American music that these guys created where they're yeah. bringing in these, this huge pastiche of, of different things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just incredible music on its own. It's even better when you see it with the, with the animation. Um, and I was... I had always loved the music, but I didn't realize how complicated and difficult it was until we started to actually do yeah. it. Um, you don't notice things like uh, Scott Bradley was a student of Schoenberg. Mm. And so, you know, in, this, in a Tom and Jerry chase scene, he'll have these really, really hard 12-tone passages <laughs> where you're just having to... And you have to do this technique that's called actually called Mickey Mousing, where you have to follow a physical gesture with a musical yeah. one. And we did all that by sight. So that was a really fun project. Um, we also have a project with Frank Zappa's music that we've been doing for a while. Um, again, a composer that combines a huge range of, mm -hmm. of styles into his music. Yeah. Um, and lately we've been doing some um, of my music. Uh, we've also always had new music be a, a big part of what mm -hmm. we've done. We've commissioned a lot of pieces. The most recent big piece we've commissioned was by David Del Tredici. Mm. Um, we mentioned him. He's one of my teachers. Um, he, we commissioned a big piece uh, song cycle from him for two singers and chamber ensemble. Um, big, big version of fireworks. Uh, mm -hmm. Sort of room full of percussion and lots of, <laughs> lots of different accessories. Um, <clears throat> difficult to mount, unfortunately. But, yeah. Um, but a wonderful uh, big song cycle that, that he wrote for us. And, what um, was the title of that one? I, I... 
it's called a field manual. Yes. It's based on poetry of Edward Field. Mm. Um, and uh, it was it was fun. I had talk, been talking to David about doing a piece with him, and we had sort of thrown some ideas around. And he had these this collection of poetry by Edward Field. He was a wonderful poet, very well respected. Mm -hmm. But he tends to write poems that are a little on the racy side. Mm -hmm. And David was having trouble finding an ensemble that would be willing to <laughs> have those words. And I said, do you write anything you want for yeah. us? We, you know, the... And David the do something racy? No, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the big finale is uh, uh, this sort of wonderfully romantic description of a lesbian rape scene. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, and with David's very romantic, mm -hmm. you know, over-the-top uh, writing, so it's yeah, it, you know, it's a wonderful piece. But yeah, it, it's you know <laughs> maybe not for everybody. But, um, and we had yeah. So the the most recent projects we've been doing, I wrote a um, hour and a half requiem for mm. chorus and fireworks. Nice. And uh, we just recorded that. We're working on editing that and getting it ready for release and then um, the most recent project was a concerto for fireworks and orchestra mm -hmm. that we just premiered in February um, so yeah pretty wide range of, of yeah. stuff that we've been working on yeah and, and with the uh, the requiem and, and with uh, um, the concerto uh, it seems like you these sorts of projects where you're collaborating with another ensemble um, is fairly common for what you guys do or yes. getting to be more common yeah we, well we've always had um education work has, has been a big part of, of what the group has has done forever mm -hmm. um you know it was very important for me um and maybe it's true for everybody but um you know the teachers that i had the music that i was exposed to there were you know a few moments that i can point to that really set me on the path of um becoming a professional musician yeah um, you know obviously listening to the right of spring was one of them but there were performances that I saw I um, one of the moments that that made me think that maybe I should put together a chamber ensemble was actually um, a performance of Philip Glass's Beauty and the Beast oh. which um, in my opinion is not one of his best pieces mm -hmm. um, but for some reason sitting there in the audience watching it you know I saw it was he was up there playing his music mm -hmm. his ensemble and a light bulb went off and um, you know you never know when yeah. something like that's going to happen or when someone is going to you know there have just been so many moments in my music education where someone has said something to me that really you know changed my way of thinking about music mm -hmm. and um all it takes is, you know, is that one little spark sometimes. And so, especially with, you know, with the arts being in such dire straits, uh, yeah. music education, <laughs> arts education in the country, um, we try to make it part of what we do whenever we're, we're performing. Um, for some reason, some of our projects, especially the American Tapestry Project, uh, has been very popular in... Um, red states, what I would like to mm -hmm. red states, you know, um, parts of America that I would not normally have any reason mm -hmm. to, to go to. Yeah. And those um, tend to be in, you know, in need of, um, of groups coming in and, or, you know, people coming in and, and introducing um, students to, to, to music. Mm -hmm. so, so that's been a big part of what we've done. And um, 
we also found that as, as we were doing this, there were a lot of, um, of schools that uh, had you know, bands and orchestras that wanted to, to collaborate with mm -hmm. us. So we started to do side-by-side -side performances. We started with a cartoon project. Mm -hmm. um, we would do uh, an orchestral version of um, one of the cartoons where we would, we would spend a couple of days with a student orchestra mm -hmm. and sort of teach them how you go about performing along with the cartoon, the different kinds of techniques that you would use, sound effects, things like that, how nice. they constructed the scores. And then um, on whatever public performance we would do, we would play alongside them. Nice. And then with the American Tapestry Project, we started to do that with orchestras as well. So we were playing um, some of West Side Story. We did a Sousa March with a couple of bands. Nice. So it's always fun for us. And so it sort of got me thinking that it might be fun to, to do that more. Um, and the... The only thing that was um, that I felt was a little bit limiting about it is that the the orchestras or the bands or the choruses um, didn't really get the full sort of immersive experience of what we were doing. We yeah. would we would go and play you know movement from West Side Story with them, but mm. that's that's not that interesting mm. in and of itself for mm -hmm. us. It's something that anybody could have done. Um, so having a new piece really gave me the opportunity to. Um, have a little bit more immersive experience mm -hmm. with an ensemble and also to really introduce them to what we think fireworks you know brings to yeah. music so like the concerto goes through a really wide range of styles and um, there's a lot of improvisation in it so mm -hmm. the performance that we did um, in February the we actually had members of the orchestra come and improvise with us nice. in certain parts of the section so they they these were um, you know, teenage musicians who have been classically trained mm. their whole lives, and we presented the project as a way for them to sort of start to think outside the box a little bit and mm -hmm. encourage them to take more risks with their playing, to think more creatively, mm -hmm. and to focus on their, their presentation, what they're communicating to the audience, and not just on what's on the page. Yeah. Communicating yeah. the audience and also what they're, how they're communicating with one another. Mm -hmm. So, and making them improvise on the spot is, 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 is a, you know, way to do that. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> so. Nice. I just remembered um, when I was in undergrad, uh, Don Davis, who did the uh, music for The Matrix, mm -hmm. came to Illinois State and, you know, gave a, a big talk. And, you know, it was, it was open to kind of everybody. In, in the university, mm -hmm. so the the auditorium was packed because people were like the Matrix, sure, and so yeah. like all the all the nerds were there, and then there's like the composers in the right, you know, in the front row going, okay, t tell us, and um, he, you know, he he went through all of the you know the, his overarching musical plan for the Matrix and how he did that, but then he also uh, <clears throat> like talked about. And this was, I found this infinitely more interesting when he did the music for Tiny Tunes. Oh, uh-huh. And how he, it was in that style of, of Looney Tunes and, and doing, mm -hmm. doing that just constantly, constantly changing mm -hmm. styles. And he said that it was like some of the most rewarding music he'd ever written and yeah. some of the most difficult music to do right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, that, that's some friggin' smart music right there. Yeah. referring to everything and, it, and just it, 
you know, I wish we had that, like, on TV again of all these cultural references, you know, going from Beethoven to, you know, yeah. I like mean, it was Tim Pan Alley. A, a golden age. Uh, yeah. I mean, of both animation and music, the resources that those studios must have put into those, yeah. those projects. I mean, it's incredible. I know. And, and of course, it's a, it's a great art form, really, that what they were able to do yeah. for that period of time. And it's rare <clears throat> that you can see that now. It's just not... It's the bottom line is, mm -hmm. is the master, and it's yeah. having, having all of that is not necessary anymore to get a, a cartoon yeah. done for kids. But yeah, it's, uh, I definitely gained a lot of respect for um, the ensembles that had to play those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had the advantage of working with a click track and being able to sort of start and stop and be able to do cues. But even yeah. so, um, they were working under, you know, very strict mm -hmm. deadlines. I mean, these guys were churning this stuff out nonstop. Yeah. And a lot of times it was just one or two takes, and you can't imagine how these guys could do that. All these oh, yeah. different stylistic changes and just, you know, incredible virtuosity. Yeah. For these studio musicians back in the in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it takes so much more skill to be able to, to traverse the different styles uh, convincingly. Right, yeah, it's one thing to play the notes, but to... Yeah put the eyebrows on it, as Frank Zappa would say, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, really sell the style is, is a, yeah, it's a whole nother level. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, it's one, one thing that tends to bother me about some singers, that they're mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm an opera singer, and then, like, it comes... that's what I do. And that's what I do. And, you know, that's fine, but when, when then, it's like, okay, but now I'm going to sing some jazz, and it's like, I'm slumming it. Right. By sing, you know, singing some jazz way too straight <laughs> or you know Broadway a little too straight <laughs> yeah yeah but for whatever reason Fireworks has sort of decided that we want to try to be as authentic as possible as yeah. we can in as many different genres and what you know yeah you um, you know there are people who are just incredibly good mm -hmm. at what they do yeah and um but you know, it might just be one mm -hmm. small area of music, and for whatever reason, that was never interesting to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, so you, you mentioned that you had um, kind of early on attracted the interest of a manager. Mm -hmm. um, what what was that experience like? Well, you know, as, as we were talking before we started the podcast about um, the way that uh, music has changed over mm -hmm. the course of, I think, our, our careers even. It's, mm -hmm. You know, it's been um, more than 10 years since I've been, been doing fireworks, and it's just, it's really remarkable looking back um, how much the industry has changed. And I think when we started off, my my goals, my concept was that if you got ma professional management and mm -hmm. a record deal, you were pretty well set. You you know your yeah. your career as a chamber ensemble was was was, was in pretty good shape, and mm -hmm. you could pretty much be guaranteed that um, you were going to work pretty consistently. And uh, we got that very early. I mean, it was just I think a year after we did the Rite of Spring that we got approached by management, and very shortly after that, we we got a, a record deal. And those two things have made almost no difference for us. <laughs> um, 
you know, management is, it's wonderful and it's um, something that uh, you certainly have access to opportunities mm -hmm. when you have a manager that you might not otherwise get. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I think it wasn't clear to me um, early on how much of a role an active role I needed to play mm -hmm. as an, an artist in that mm -hmm. relationship. I sort of thought, well, this person's just going to be getting work for me and yeah. I can focus on mm -hmm. know, doing the music and they'll deal with the business part. Mm -hmm. And that's really um, not the case. I mean, you, you, you should get some work sort of regardless if you have a good manager, but mm -hmm. um, a manager really is only um, successful if you are helping the manager along. Yeah. And I mean, I think on a certain level, um, we probably um, signed a management deal too too early, too, mm -hmm. too soon. I think we probably could have benefited from being in the trenches on our own mm -hmm. and developing our own relationships a little bit longer. Um, and, I, and I think there's, on a certain level, uh, you if you need management, mm -hmm. you probably management, any manager that you, you know, would be worthwhile for you to have probably isn't going to be interested in you. Mm -hmm. It's like only when you can really, um, you really know how to structure your, your career and make mm -hmm. those relationships and do things on your own. That's mm -hmm. when a manager is really useful. Yeah. Because they can really build on that and help shape things and, mm -hmm. and then do some of the things for you that you could do on your own and you can help, help direct them mm -hmm. to, on how to do it. But, um, but that you're not completely reliant yeah. on them. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, so I guess, you know, if you're looking at management contracts, <laughs> just, just be, be, be wary, because I, mean, I think it is... It definitely, you know, with everything in music, um, it's so much of it is about connections mm -hmm. and your own ability to, um, you know, to, to make your way and make good decisions, mm -hmm. for, you know, for yourself. And yeah. that doesn't change... Um, that much with status or with mm -hmm. you know with 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 age. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, it seems to me that we're quite often under the um, the impression <laughs> uh, as as composers as artists that management or publishers or you know these these companies. Or, or sometimes individuals um, are going to take care of us. Mm -hmm. They're going to take care of all of our problems. They're going to solve everything. They're going to get lots of work. And it's this sort of parental type view of, of what that relationship right. is. And mm -hmm. ultimately, that's A, not what it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, B, it's not what it is because these are companies or businesses and, and they're looking out for, you know, okay, you may be talented, but what do you, what else do you bring to the table? Right. There's a whole line of other talented people out here who have more connections than you do and I can help them use those connections better. Right. And so it, it's, it's a partnership. It, you know, a manager doesn't isn't going to want to take you unless you have something to offer them. Yeah. Really, and the same with a publisher, they're not going to pick up your music true, yeah. unless they know that they can sell it. Right. And not just think that they can sell it, but know with a fair degree of certainty 
that they can because it's already being like you're already that's, that's exactly out there right. and, and, and doing stuff and and worth their attention yeah I think that's very true um, yeah and you know I, I think that uh, you know, the, the way that the the industry has changed I mean yeah you have to think about you know what is this person what is their incentive mm -hmm. um, and what what are they really you know bringing to the to the table mm -hmm. um, the the people that I know in the music industry that have really been the most successful are the ones who just didn't really even think about that mm -hmm. so much and really just yeah. decided to, to make it on their own. And I yeah. wish in some ways that I'd had the um, the strength and the abilities <laughs> to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to do that for myself early on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I was... I always try try to you know in a, a certain in any sort of new experience or, or anybody that I want to work with have not just the idea of what what can you do for me but what is it that I'm bringing to the table that that it could interest you yeah that that makes this worth your yeah. while and, yeah because you know I think at the end of the day is what is it what are you, what are you trying to do here what yeah. what's the what's the point of, of doing any of this mm -hmm. and you know that. If you um, keep that in mind, you know that it's it's about building relationships, it's mm -hmm. about making art, um, and not get sidetracked by the um, by the music industry mm -hmm. part of it, or what you're supposed to be doing, or what other people mm -hmm. have been doing. That I think you're you're always best, you're always well served. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it took me a long time to figure that out, and maybe I still haven't quite, <laughs> quite figured that out. <laughs> oh yeah, I think we all keep uh, iterating yes. as we go. Yeah, it's a learning process. This, mm -hmm. this business of music—that—that that it certainly is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I—I I feel like I make the same mistakes a lot, but at least I make them differently yes, every time. Yes, that's good. That's good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> or. I like to think that I'm making them differently. Maybe I'm just making the same mistake every time and, and, and it, you know, smack. And it's, uh, th yeah, definitely there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mistake making and I, it's, um, there's a movie that I, I saw fairly recently called Particle Fever, which is not music related at all. It's mm. about the, it's a documentary about the Large Hadron Collider, the okay. particle accelerator. Yeah. But it's, there's a lot of interviews with these physicists um, who have gone through their careers trying out different theories and having them basically debunked or finding yeah. out that they weren't the right path. And there's a wonderful quote that, that really, that seems applicable for any field. There's one of the guys who said, you know, the secret to my success is going from failure to failure with undiminished enthusiasm. Yeah, so I exactly. I think that that's, a, that's sort of a wonderful way to sum it up. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of setbacks and a lot of heartbreak. But keeping the big picture, you know, why am I doing this? What's, mm -hmm. What are the really important things? Why did I do this in the first place? Yeah. And um, to try to learn from those mistakes and, and to yeah, keep going with, with enthusiasm is, is the key, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you've learned from, and <laughs> too, what did you too many too to many. mention in a <laughs> short period of time? Um, well, you know, I think that the management uh, piece is, is one of it. We mm -hmm. also signed a you know a record contract very early on, mm -hmm. and. Um, 
again, just sort of thinking that that would be that there would be a lot to be taken care of for us. It's mm -hmm. a sort of feather in our cap and not mm -hmm. paying enough attention to um, what the, the, the important um, aspects of it were for us, which mm -hmm. was to get this music um, in this really great form there where it could really represent us well and get it out, mm -hmm. out to people. And we have two records that still haven't been released. Yeah. And, you know, we, if we had done it ourselves... You know, might not have been done in the same circumstances, but mm. at least it would be out there. Yeah. Um, boy, there's so many things. You know, <laughs> dealing with, um, you know, in terms of, you know, putting together a group, tour management, I could sort of go on and on. But I've probably made every mistake, uh, you know, under the sun. And it's, it's challenging because there aren't that many. It's, I, I, I should say that I think your 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 work and these podcasts are just such an incredible resource mm. because um, there there were very few ways for me to know how mm -hmm. to do this without making those those mistakes. Yeah, and, um, and I'm grateful for a lot of those those experiences. But um, but certainly the kinds of things that you know our wonderful colleagues who've been doing this for you have have told you. Have, have told us in these podcasts mm. would have helped me make fewer of them. I think along the lines. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. That, that's that's one thing that I I always like to to do is like learn from other people's mistakes so that I hopefully don't make them or make again make them differently. Yeah, yeah. And the community that you're developing around. I mean, that's a huge a huge part of it too. I think is just having um, you know, realizing that this is. Um, that we're sort of all in this together. I, yeah. you know, I, I had such a competitive um, uh, spirit for a long time mm -hmm. with my ensemble, as if it was like a you know a business or a sports team or something yeah. like that. You know, why did that person get that gig and we didn't? And, yeah. Um, you know, I th I think I told our manager at one point that we wanted to challenge Aids Blackford to a duel or something, you know, <laughs> just for publicity stunt. <laughs> um, and you know, just forgetting that this—that's you know what we're what this is about—is um, is making making art, making music, yeah. and that we're all in this this together. And the the connections that you make um, mm -hmm. are just so so vital. I mean, I would really say that aside from a few a few um, opportunities that we've gotten here and there um, because of you know people just finding out about us or, mm -hmm. or through our management so much of the of the work that we get and the opportunities that we have are through some kind of connection some yeah. kind of personal connection mm -hmm. I and mean, it's really the whole yeah the yeah. whole game and um it really makes everything so much more <laughs> worthwhile too <laughs> when you have you know when you're working with 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 friends and colleagues and and you know we're all doing this together yeah yeah it's uh well, yeah it's very common for us to, to feel competitive because we're often up for the same awards and grants and yeah it's you know, human nature things. for yeah. sure the competitions i mean don't get me started on competitions <laughs> <laughs> i do not like them um i have a whole idea <laughs> about what it should be instead mm -hmm. um but that's a, i mean that would be like a five-hour conversation <laughs> uh, yeah i'd be interested to have that um in short i think fuck Competitions make it a call for scores. Yeah. 
just send us your music. We want to, we'll, we'll pick the stuff we like, you know, that, that's all it has to be. Yeah. And not like pitting Which us against each other. Which is what it sort of is anyway. Yeah. So why put the, yeah. the framework of yeah, exactly. having it be, yeah, having um, a competition. And, but with the, with that sense of, you know, competition that, that can come, that can really dampen potentially wonderful relationships with mm -hmm. other composers, with other performers, their ensembles. Um, I mean, I do this podcast. Garrett Hope does the portfolio composer. He was doing that first. Right. And I was, I, and I was like, I really want to do this podcast. And so I just sort of started it. I didn't know him at all, um, but I knew he was doing his thing, um, composer on fire at the time. And, um, he called me out of nowhere. Like I've been doing this for a few months and just like, Hey, how's it going? Um, and you've got this podcast. I've been listening to it. I, I, I really like it. Um, is since I've been doing this longer, is there anything I can do to help you? Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of, of like what has become a great collaborative friendship. Uh -huh. We're, we're constantly like sharing guests and we're now starting to like mm -hmm. do business together. Mm -hmm. It's become a great thing because we didn't say, well, you know, you haven't, you have a podcast like, just like me, we talk about the same things. You're you're my competition. I, we oh no, we can't. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. and in talking about mistakes, that's definitely one the big one that uh, you know I've made over and over again is not asking for help or not making mm -hmm. connections because I saw someone as being competition rather than as being mm -hmm. a colleague. And I've had many of those same experiences with people. There's a guy <laughs> who does. Um, something called uh, Bugs Bunny on Broadway. He okay. does a similar project. Mm -hmm. It's at a much, much larger scale. He, he goes around conducting orchestras okay. and doing some of these Warner Brothers scores. Okay, I've heard of that. And um, when we first started doing the project, he was like, he was the devil because mm -hmm. he was like, you know, taking all of our work or we were taking all... And, you know, w w there was at one point, I can't remember why, but I, I had to get in touch with him mm -hmm. to talk about something. And it was the same thing. He was, he was like, you guys are so great. I, I love what you're doing. It's so great to see, you know, see a hot chamber ensemble. Really, do. I wish I had time, you know, with orchestras to get it refined like that. Mm. You know, how can I help you? Like, we're just, and I was just like, what? why are you being so nice to me? And you I, know, know. I just felt like such an idiot afterwards. I was like, of course. Of course you are. Yeah. It's not... It's not a competition. It's, yeah, it's about the music. So yeah, Garrett actually asked in that conversation. He's like, like toward toward the end. He said, "So I, I have a question for you. Um, since you know our podcasts are very similar um, in in the content and in the, the the thrust of the thing, um, are are you upset that I'm doing something similar to do to you?" And I was like. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I should be asking you that question. Right. I'm I'm muscling in on your territory, man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and there's a a project that I will be unveiling soon. I'm going to talk to you oh, about it after okay. we're after we're off the air, air here. Um, but there's another similar thing out there, and we're already talking about how to collaborate uh -huh. rather than like. Yeah. You do your thing, and I will do mine, and you just stay over there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's yeah, it's that's a really important one. Yeah. Um, and it's it it can be really hard to to like 
bring yourself to that place to to say, you know, I we're this it's better if I like talk to this person and try to collaborate with them, or you know, try to help to support them rather than sit and like stew over here and be yeah, like, it's very different. I mean, I think our you know, especially uh, I hate to sort of say, it, but especially in America, I mean, we're trained to uh, to be competitive. Mm -hmm. We grew up, you know, on sports teams mm -hmm. and thinking about you know certain competitions you have in school with other people mm -hmm. and you know you're competing for for college spots mm -hmm. and you're competing for you know in the you get into the business world and it's all about competition mm -hmm. that's sort of part of our our culture i think and it's it's hard to break that that mindset yeah until you you know realize how how powerful it is and how much happier and healthier you will be mm -hmm. <laughs> if you embrace that yeah there, uh, this one author I was listening to her podcast a million years ago and she just dropped this word co-opetition mm -hmm. portmanteau of <laughs> you know competition and cooperation it's right. like that's that's great I like that yeah 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 because the I mean the competitive aspect of it is that's also healthy I mean you, mm -hmm. you encourage each other to do um to do your best work, which yeah. is always good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but the cooperation part of it is definitely key. Yeah. You mentioned uh, before we we started um, that you feel like there's a lot of fear in in some like younger. You mentioned like younger composers specifically mm. coming out of schools and trying to figure figure stuff out. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about the, sometimes. You know, when Fireworks has, has um, we've done a lot of work with young composers, mm. particularly at the uh, Oregon Bachfesters Composers mm -hmm. Symposium. Um, we've been out there as, uh, as ensemble in residence, I think, four times, nice. and um, which is a you know week long or a little longer um, immersive experience. And then you always have a ton of composers. Mm -hmm. I think the first year we were there, we premiered. 50 pieces over the oh course God. of a week, which is oh. too much, but but, yeah, um, but it's great because, you know, it, it's a real, an incredible cross-section of mm -hmm. the, you know, young or sort of whatever, emerging yeah, whatever composer <laughs> um, field, and um, we often get a chance, you know, we get a chance to interact with them a lot mm -hmm. and often, um, you know, do panels and conversations where we're talking about, about music and um, I've often found that yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fear from young composers about how to how to make it, what to do next. Mm -hmm. you know, how do how do I continue to do this? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also with um, performers, when mm -hmm. you know Fireworks is on tour and we're um, we're doing our education work, one of the we we. There are a lot of um, young musicians who have trouble seeing anything other than the traditional mm -hmm. paths. You yeah. know, I can either be an orchestral musician or I can be a teacher because mm -hmm. that's what my teachers do, and that's, yeah. those are the those are the sort of clear cut mm -hmm. things. So, I think in you know in both cases we try to um, hit home the idea that um, most people who are professional musicians make their careers out of a variety of different mm -hmm. in a variety of different ways um, piece them together in, in, in uh, from a lot of different different areas different different pieces and um, that the more that you can think 
think creatively and objectively about what your interests are and mm -hmm. what your needs are, the better served you'll be because it's a hard field yeah. to be in. And you might as well do what you're excited about. <laughs> and it's probably not going to be any more or less challenging than that, you know, traditional path that yeah. you thought that you would have. And you'll be, you'll be happier, happier doing it. So, you know, for fireworks, it's, it's uh, you know, people look at us um, with shock when we tell them about all the different things that the members of fireworks are involved in. I mean, there's some Broadway playing, there's mm -hmm. a lot of... You know other kinds of freelance things. There's some teaching. Um, various members of us have been um, involved in making money outside of music mm -hmm. um, for for periods of, of time. Yeah. Um, I know an incredible cellist who has a day job, uh, full time day job at a uh, I think he's a banker or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yet he goes around and tours and, and plays. Um, you know. In, in, Concertos at a, a very high level, so yeah. there's there's no um, there's no set path, which means mm. that on the one hand it's it's um, it's it's very difficult to to give specific instruction because yeah. there's no there are no easy answers. You mm -hmm. have to find it for yourself. Yeah. But if you're willing to do that yeah. and to um, really think about how to you know what you really want to do and how you would like to structure your life, then. Mm -hmm you'll ultimately be much better served. Yeah. And again, you know, it's it's about it's about building community because the the um, <clears throat> the industry changes so much. It's, oh, yeah. I mean it's changed so much and and um, the rules that you thought that you that were there or the path that you thought might have been there, you know, might not be there mm -hmm. years down down the line, but um, if you, you know, develop good relationships and have a good idea about what you want to do, mm -hmm. then you're going to be very able to be very flexible when, yeah. when things change. Because people will always want to be making music. People will always want to be listening to music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's always going to be there. Yeah, it seems like we all uh, we also need flexibility, and in that and the the ability to realize that. We actually don't want the thing that we thought we wanted. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Because the, you can you can go after that orchestra gig and realize, nope, that wasn't the, this, this really was what not I actually wanted. what I mm -hmm. wanted. I, it, it seemed from the outside, it seemed like it was this, but it's actually that, and maybe this isn't what I want to do with yeah. my life. Or yeah, that's absolutely true. I've known a lot of performers who, um, and incredible players who. You know, started playing at a very early age, reached a very high level, got mm -hmm. into grad school, and sort of said, "I don't know, yeah, if this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's what I've always done, yeah, and it's what I know how to do, yeah. Um, and I don't really know how to do anything else. So I don't know what I should do, but mm -hmm. I don't know if this this is the right fit for me. So. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's I want to be a full time freelance composer, and it's like maybe not. Maybe you want to find something part-time that or keeps you busy this way. what is it about being a full-time freelance composing that is so attractive? Like, what, what, are the, what are the aspects of that that are the most important things to you? I mean, it, because probably it's not every aspect of being a, a freelance yeah, yeah. composer. Um, 
you know, what are the most important things? And can you find ways that are more compatible with your personality or, mm -hmm. or your skill set that mm -hmm. will allow you to do those things mm -hmm. um, that, are the, that are the really important aspects of it? Yeah. And if it is that every, you know, everything where, you know, I don't even know what being a freelance composer <laughs> means necessarily anymore. Yeah. But if, you know, there is that one thing Mm -hmm. That is, you know, it has to be exactly that. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice in other areas of your life in order to make that, mm -hmm. that possible? Yeah, so. yeah, it's a, it's an interesting path, and and figuring it out takes, you know, self that self self knowledge, flexibility to know that you might not actually want this, and um, just a metric crap ton of. Uh, vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. And the and when you, that's really that's really true. And I've definitely struggled with that a lot. And um, if you combine the vulnerability with an unwillingness to to seek help from your friends and colleagues mm -hmm. because you're too competitive with them, you're mm -hmm. really gonna <laughs> you're just gonna you know sit in a corner and have have a hard time. So yeah, it's it's um, when when you have those those questions you know finding mm -hmm. people who can who can help you that's been a huge yeah huge part of it for me yeah yeah finding out what you want to do is not really a solitary pursuit no it you, you have to like talk stuff through with people and and because they're going to ask you questions that you wouldn't think to ask yourself yeah and they will they'll say things to you that will maybe point you in a direction that you didn't They'll be answering a question that, in such a way that it'll point you in a direction that yeah. that you didn't think you needed to go, or um, and it's amazing how helpful people are when you oh yeah when you I mean uh, people who you you might not think would be interested in helping you mm -hmm. you know the community is is very giving yeah for the most part yeah I felt for for myself that this show has been a real exercise in sustained vulnerability <laughs> you know like opening up like here's i've i've had this problem i've done this thing that i should not have done or you know like i i've screwed up i still have questions and and to continue to be open about that and and it, it does bring in like great response of yeah. like it helps other people but it also helps me to like figure some stuff out for myself and you know had some of these conversations off you know, off of the air too, mm -hmm. and yeah. um, had um, like Rob Patterson. He was he in podcast time. It was last week. In real time, it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> talked to him, but then a few months ago, we we were sort of just getting together for drinks to to talk about having him on the show and catch up. And I sort of opened up about a, a thing that I notice about myself, and he's like, "Stop it! <laughs> you have to stop that." And I need it, and I knew that, but I needed to hear it from, from another human else. being, yeah. just mm -hmm. to say, "Yeah, I've been. This is a thing that I'm not doing as well as I should, and I know that I, I used to be better." He's like, "Then stop it, mm -hmm. fix it." Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. It's the um, what was it? The the oh, I can't remember. Mad TV um, when Bob Newhart was on with um, I forget the the actress's name. And she was—he was like playing the psychiatrist. And, oh, that sounds um, amazing! I haven't seen that. It, he, he said, you know, okay, it's only going to be five dollars. Um, you know, she's like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, it's only going to take a few minutes. So tell me, what's your problem? 
and she would un un unburden, and he'd say, "Stop it." <laughs> <laughs> I think I have heard of it. Yeah, that's it's, great. It's great. That's really, yeah. I mean, what more do you need? Yeah, exactly. Stop it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, with with the the fear um, of what what path and, and trying to, to figure things out, um, you'd also mentioned before that, and this ties in with fireworks uh, as a whole. Um, seeing variety, seeing the options that you have mm -hmm. in terms of paths and style, that that seems like a an interesting like a. It's not just trying to find out, but find your one path that your teacher did before you. Yeah, I mean, I, th it's, I think um, it's that, you know, young, young composers and, and performers are, are better at this now. I mean, back in the, in the 70s, it used to be, you know, if you're a composer and you weren't writing 12-tone music, mm -hmm. then, you know, you should think about a different different path mm -hmm. um, so it you know it is a much more open field now in a way but it's still I think it's it's difficult for people to know it, it is very daunting and mm -hmm. there is so much competition you know it, it's every year these conservatories churn out um, you know hundreds of new uh, graduates who are incredibly talented and yeah. and, and, and so skilled uh, at playing this very very narrow range of of music and um, but not really well equipped to take part in you know the, the whole of music mm -hmm. that's, that's going on there's so much so much interesting music happening in so many different ways yeah and um, you know I think the earlier that people start to think holistically about you know what what their interests are what um, what they really like to do without feeling like they're limited in any way mm -hmm. by what um, you know I, I th it's, again it's changing to, to a certain extent at least since I was in school but um, I think a lot of the conservatories are still um, have been very slow to change the way that they've they've trained mm -hmm. you know new generations of, of musicians it's yeah. still very much stuck in a, in a in, in preparing students for a musical reality that is really doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, there aren't that many orchestra jobs. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're lucky enough to get one, it, it's not going to be the kind of situation that it was, you know, 20 or 30 yeah. years ago in terms of stability and in terms of the kind of um, pay scale and workload that, that mm -hmm. you, know, you might have had. Um, so, you know, just really you know seeing the music that's out there and, and thinking about what what really interests you because mm -hmm. there are no you know in the real world there are no rules you know people are making it making music in whatever way they they want and um and i you know i think it, you know i was trained to if, if i had instead of um spending two years trying to sight read in four different clefts. <laughs> if I'd had, uh, if I'd replaced that with, you know, courses on business of music mm -hmm. or on some other areas of music, if I'd, ex if I'd experiment, if I'd thought to experiment, mm -hmm. uh, it was partly on me, but um, it wasn't part of the, the curriculum yeah. that, um, that I was expected to have. And I was really being prepared to be 
um, as a bass player, an orchestral bass player, there really was no other mm. other option, and and on all the training was really designed to um, to put me on that path. Yeah. And as a composer, um, I think you know you're usually trained to, to potentially be a teacher. I don't think they expect you to, to be a professional composer, really. Yeah. Um, and that's. I would say at least as viable an option as being a teacher, you know, because mm -hmm. you get the the market just gets flooded. There's mm -hmm. so many oh, yeah. people who are you know overqualified for these teaching positions, mm -hmm. and so few of them. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you think you'd be better off just writing music, I mean, you <laughs> might be right. I mean, there are a lot of options for yeah. people who are interested in that. Um, if you are able to expand your horizons and and see what's out there, or to uh, forge your own path if you can be entrepreneurial and mm -hmm. and um, and clear-headed about what what it is you, what it is you like. Yeah. That's so. uh, my 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 original idea when I was an undergrad was get the bachelor's, get the master's, get the doctorate, teach. Mm -hmm. I was going to do that path. Yeah. And I, that's what you know. And I know people who've done it, and it works well for them. Yep. And I got had a you know wrench thrown into the works. And I'm so happy that that happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you know, for a lot of people, the, if a wrench like that happens, mm. as it does for a lot of people, yeah, um, that can be it. You know, that mm -hmm. can be a real crisis moment. But um, it doesn't have to be. You know, yeah. all these things happen for a reason, and there, there's so many, so many options, so mm. many different ways. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, we are at the hour mark here. Um, so, is there any parting wisdom that you would? I, I, I was going to say that you'd like to impart, but that's a little too much part in that sentence. Do you have any parting wisdom? <laughs> well, you know, I think that the best thing I could I could tell you is to listen to the other podcasts that you've done. I mean, there is so much wisdom in there. I'm looking forward to to hearing what you know my colleagues have to say. Um, just exploring, you know, exploring everything that's out there, being mm -hmm. really open and staying true to yourself, you know, for what it's worth. Because <laughs> I certainly don't have all the answers. And I'm still, yeah. still trying to figure it out. Yeah, that, that's what a lot of this is, is trying to, you know, was Emily Bookwalter had called this peer learning. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. that's great. That's a perfect, perfect term for, for what this show is, what Garrett's show is. And... What we're all, I think, ideally aiming for is yeah. figuring it all out together. Yep. The, yeah. Many minds are better than, than one. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you online? Um, right now, the best place is fireworksensemble.org. Um, I still don't have my own website. That's something I need to, <laughs> to do one of these days before I'm too old. Um, so yeah, that's that's the that's the best place that'll link you everywhere else you have any interest in exploring in my and our musical world. Nice, nice. Yeah, I went to you. You ha yeah, you have a domain. It just redirects to fire fireworks. Right? Uh, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it's been like that forever. Yeah, it's yeah. I've I've become one with my <laughs> crazy project. Nice. It's not not always a bad thing. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you for, for being here, for doing this today. Thank you. It's, and it's been fun. Thank you for listening, all of you out there. Yeah. I'm very thankful for all of you who show up every week. Um, 
and, and tune in. Um, so yeah, thank you all for listening. Um, no CTA this week because I didn't prepare one in advance. So um, I will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.